Hello, and welcome back to Beats, Rye, and Types. This is episode number 48, and I'm your host, MRB, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Aaron Quint, AQ. What is up, Aaron? What up? It has been a long time since we have recorded an episode, but we're we're back. We have so many... Back! Um, <laughs> man, I should have... I, there was a lot of... There's a lot of good songs you can play to the theme of We're Back, right? Yep. You could go with, like, Don't Call It a Comeback... The Welcome Back Cotter theme song, basically. The Welcome Back Cotter theme song. <laughs> Do you know the song We're Back? By who? By, uh, by LFO. Yes. We're Back. That one? Yep. It's like, there are many imitators, <laughs> but we are the true <laughs> creators. We're back. That home, That's really good. Yeah. We can play that. Maybe you could cut that in behind me <laughs> in post-production. So you were brought into the podcast by Joe McPhee's uh, seminal spiritual slash new thing slash fire music slash free jazz uh, record, um, Nation Time. And uh, that's a hell of an album. Have you heard that one before? I hadn't until you posted it, but yeah. It's, it's, very, it's, a, it's a really cool album. It's got a lot of different modes on it. It's also live and recorded live, which gives it a very interesting sound. And uh, it's got some chanting and some piano and a lot of saxophone, some kind of other weird, maybe harmonica or like toy saxophone, maybe. Not sure. Yeah. Anyway. My knowledge of free jazz is greatly lacking. I know a lot about, you know, like bop and you know, that era of jazz, but my, my, uh, free jazz knowledge is lacking. And actually I backed this Kickstarter project a little while ago that you're, I think you, you know, that guy, right. Who yeah, did Tom Thomas who yeah. doing the fire music documentary. So I was looking forward to that and hoping to learn some more about that era. That period in jazz was a time when, um, there were a few people making records where they would like be working on an idea and then they would make a record and then, that record would kind of like spawn its own subgenre of jazz and arguably free jazz is a example of that. But nation time is its own thing. There's a whole really interesting period of time in, in the late sixties and early seventies where there was a kind of, um, almost like a, well, they call it soul jazz or spiritual jazz, you know, like a spiritual element in jazz. And that's a crossover, Free jazz and other, and 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 other subgenres have in common, but anyway, yeah, it's cool. It, it's it's not like everyday music, but necessarily for everyone. But there's some good shit. And Joe McPhee, that album is considerably more, I would say, listenable than some other examples of free jazz. That's a pretty. That's got like a groove to it a little bit. And chanting, everyone loves chanting. <laughs> Yeah, so where have we been? Or like yeah. how long has it been since we recorded it's, an episode? We we had a, like a, there's a lost episode in there too, but uh, but yeah, it's been a couple months. We were hard at work on pizza book stuff. Um my wife just had a, a a child, which is kind of a big deal, and so I started a new job. Lots of lots of things have happened in the past couple couple weeks and months to the point where it was a little hard to to spend the spend the effort doing this even though i i now that we're doing it again i realize how much i missed it so good to be back yeah 
definitely shout out to all the people that uh, I have run into in the last couple months that have asked me where the podcast is. I told you that it would come back soon. And actually, at the time, I was lying to you. <laughs> but, but it turns out maybe I wasn't. So there you go. Because here's, here's a fresh episode for you. Faking it iTunes. until you're making it, right? Exactly. You got it. In, you got this. We're in your iTunes right now next to your other favorite podcasts. The pizza book is being printed, is being assembled and shrink-wrapped and boxed and, and palleted and stored and then will be sent to us maybe next week potentially we're gonna see it right yeah i think the, that's the plan next week or so, early the week after probably yeah so that's that's really cool because that's a long that's a long time coming for us and that's like kind of our first big physical project that we've made that we've made together and that's been very gratifying yeah then we're gonna hustle the shit out of that thing <laughs> sell a copies. expect to hear non-stop friends. you might have to mute how much we're going to talk about pizza book for a little you're while. You're going to buy it. You have to buy it. And the only way to get us to shut up is just to buy all of the copies. And then also. No, you know, there's, there's the, like literally the, there's no way. Buy all of the e-copies. <laughs> there's a limited number of e-copies. There's a theoretical limit to the number of bytes in the universe that could be uh, <laughs> stored on storage devices. But. No, I'm very proud of that. I can't wait to see it in person. Shout out to Steve Berry who went to uh, Vancouver to oversee the printing. That must have been. That seemed like that was very exciting for him. There's cool, yeah. There were cool. There were cool gifs that came back from that. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like it's going to look really dope. And I we did not we didn't really did not spare any expense with respect to the physical uh, presentation of the book. You know, we did have to make certain trade offs, but um, we definitely tried really hard to produce something that is really special and that people are going to very much enjoy holding in their hands. So that's the deal with that. That's, that's what's been popping more or less. Yep. And what about you? I heard you've been working on some side projects as well. Yeah. So uh, I've been working on some side projects. One of which is that I've been working on a nascent uh, sort of community building uh, project around getting a group of people together who will hopefully form the basis for co-working space in Tacoma Park where I live. So this was sparked by a bunch of different things, one of which was like actually spending a day working one day at Indie Hall in Philadelphia a couple months back, realizing that an aspect of what was going on with like challenges with work stuff has been that I feel kind of isolated and, and I really want to be connected with people again. And I think I'm kind of ready for it after kind of like a period of not being very prepared to get outside of my bubble or whatever. But I started uh, putting a group together, read a bunch of stuff online about how these things work and kind of read a lot of stuff that was recommended by or written by Alex Hillman, who's one of the people that started the Indie Hall space. And uh, he has some interesting ideas around that that I've been trying to like put into practice more or less. And I think it's been working pretty well. Yeah, it's been cool. We've met, you know, people that are outside, completely outside of, you know, people that I know, but having similar interests and uh, which is cool because we're really trying to reflect the values and uh, needs of the community. 
so there's a funny story about it because when I was pitching this idea to people and kind of telling them, you know, like, hey, I want to start this co-working space, but really what I want to start is like a community of people that like want to work together and are looking for similar things and yada yada. And, you know, I was like, well, there's all kinds of people that like live and work in Tacoma Park, right? Like there's tech people like me and there's nonprofit people and then there's art people, arts people, and then there's architects, right? So I kept saying that over and over again and like saying the architect thing, but I didn't really know any architects. <laughs> but then the first person that showed up uh, who wasn't someone that was like a friend of a friend, the first like quote unquote like stranger who showed up to the meetup was a, this woman who was an architect. <laughs> and I was like, yes, like we have an architect, uh, you know, and it's a really, it's been, it's been an interesting, it's been a very interesting experience because it's really like putting myself out there and meeting folks that I've, that I normally would not have met in a very kind of, atypical uh scenario and environment for me so that's been cool so hopefully that's cool uh, now that we're back on track with uh the podcast i'll be able to like report some of my progress uh with that project here because that this is like my big this is my big side project that i'm working on these days so so the idea is like we'll get people together we're going to try to find a space somewhere like in downtown tacoma park and have that up and running uh, you know, maybe within a year or so is like the goal. We'll see how that goes. So I set, cool. it on, I set it on the air. Yeah, it's real now. It's real now. So I've been getting advice. If anyone who's a listener is involved in running a co-working space uh, or has been to one that they love or one to the, that they hate or whatever, hit me up. It'll be fun to talk about the community building aspect of it as a kind of an interesting uh, component of it that I hadn't really thought about before. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they think about co-working spaces and building them, I think their first intuition is like, oh, well, first you get a space and then you just fill it with people. But it seems like you're kind of doing it the other way around, which I think is different but smart. It means it ensures that you have the right kind of people, which is actually the thing that'll keep the space going probably. Exactly. That's the whole, that's the whole idea, yeah. So it's like we basically want to have uh so alex uh he actually released they just released like an audio book about the history of indie hall and kind of like their ideas behind some of the stuff it's called the first 10 and that's kind of the idea like you get your you, your first goal as someone who's building this kind of like professional community is to get like 10 people who are kind of the core of it right who uh, eventually might be interested in, in having uh, and being the people who initially commit to six months or a year of like a, a clubhouse, right? Because like once you have like this group of people that enjoy being around each other and getting coffee together and talking about stuff, and now now that now that they have started to come to our meetup, they see each other invariably at other coffee shops and stuff when they're working, and then they're part of this little community, and that spreads. Once you have that, then you know. I know that all of these people want a place that they can go to. That's their own place, right? So then me and my partner will make that happen and everyone will be involved in that and they'll have kind of shaped, they'll kind of, they'll have shaped or have influenced the shape of it, right? They'll have shaped the shape of it. Um, so that's the idea. I think it is really smart. You know, I, I think it's like a, it's a practically free 
an axis of uh, evaluation that I'm using, like a criteria, uh, criteria for evaluation is like, it takes a lot of effort and like no money to do this, which makes me think like, it's probably a good, <laughs> it's probably a good thing to be doing. Right. Cause like, you know, that the, that kind there, there's that kind of work is always hidden somewhere in like making an idea like this work and being able to do that up front without having to sacrifice uh, it is hard because another idea that we have is that like we want this space to be in a really good place, right? So we want like a good location, yeah, yeah. like a good look, a really good location, and in like a nice place, right? Like we want to basically get. We would like to be able to justify taking the risk on like high quality retail location for this kind of place right for like a number of reasons right because once we have the anchor and then that right and it's there right it's riskier because it's more expensive and the pressure is higher if you do something on ground floor main street than if you do it in like the fourth floor of an office building five blocks away but that's where people really want to be Right. Like that's kind of my idea of what I want is I want like a piece of downtown. Right. And I think this kind of work, having this kind of work downtown is cool and and is like something Mm -hmm. that especially if we get the diverse group of interesting people doing interesting work that I know are like hidden in Tacoma Park to be like out in the open doing their work. And getting lunch downtown and bringing clients downtown and and that becomes kind of the the face of it, right? Because there's law offices downtown, right? And there's all these like old school offices downtown that like similarly to the business that a lot of people here do, like they do local business. So they have they want to be there, right? There's a there's a prestige to that. So. We want to be, it's very strategic to do it this way too, like from a financial perspective, in addition to being able to actually build something that if we can't justify a space, I know I'm going to meet like a bunch of interesting people and who knows what will come of that, right? And I love putting people together and connecting people anyway. So it's been, that's been kind of my, that's been my last three or four months. I've been focusing a lot of energy into that. Sweet. Yeah, it seems like, a downtown space to you it's more likely you'll get the support of the outer community too you know like when when people invest in community really visibly in communities when people meaning business like like young growing a young growing business invests really visibly in a small community usually if they do a good job of it i feel like I've seen that happen here in Kingston, like when people come and invest in a business here on a storefront here and put a lot of effort into it and are clearly like caring a lot about it. The community comes out to support them because it's like people just want everything to be better. You know, it's like it's a it's something that everyone wants to support. Yeah, that's the idea. I mean, and and we want the people who are the initial people to all be people that understand the value of having it there and that like want want to be able to walk there or bike there. Um, and like another hack that we're doing is like, we're taught, we're telling everyone like, this is not going to be a place where there's going to be 
like a lot of parking, right? Uh, and like by telling people that they're like, oh, I get it. Like, right. Like it's for people who selecting. Yeah. It's like if you're going to take the train or walk or ride your bike or, you know, drive every once in a while, or if you like do a thing where you make a physical thing and you need to like move stuff around, then there will be like loading and unloading. But it's not a parking lot is not going to be a feature of this um, because we really want the core to be local people. So we'll see. Maybe that'll end up fucking us over, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Remains to be seen. All, yeah, all things. Exactly. <laughs> cool. As in all things. <laughs> I don't have any specific plans to do something so grand, but uh, a friend and a friend of the podcast who I, I don't know if I can talk about this on the air yet. So I'll just, say stop at that is moving to my neighborhood in fact moving across the street from me uh and so i'm very excited about that and he and i have started talking about sharing an office space and doing something like that but we don't i don't know i don't know how that's going to play out we'll have to see but there's so much cool i'm just i also just love cool spaces so i'm like very attracted to all these cool spaces that are opening up or are open in kingston and like are relatively cheap and i'm like hmm Pizza in the front, party in the back. You know? Yeah, like, exactly. What can, I, what, can I, exactly. what can I do with this space? Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, uh, another um, another goal that I've had in doing working on this project is like meeting as many uh, downtown and otherwise like business people here. Like just trying to meet as many people that run businesses and getting to know them and making sure that they know who I am and what I'm into and all that kind of stuff. And that's been really gratifying because it really is for the most part, you know, with a couple exceptions, it's really just people who are kind of struggling to not necessarily struggling. Some people are doing well, but they're risking a lot by, like you said, uh, investing in the community. They could have they could have a space somewhere else that would probably be where it might be easier to support themselves, but they've chosen to do it there and they're really into it. And that's kind of like what I really want to be focusing on uh, in the next five years or so. That's awesome. I, I've been on paternity leave for the past two weeks. This is the end of my paternity leave, basically, though I'm going to take it easy the rest of the summer. And it's been it's been wild having a newborn in the house is pretty it's it's pretty crazy, to be honest. I forgot what this is like. But now, as you've experienced yourself, having a new having a newborn plus a toddler is a interesting combination that is a huge amount of work, but also can be fun at times. (laughs) But mostly is a lot of work and uh, and uh, it's just is exhausting and it's very in a very specific way that I'm that I haven't been exhausted by in a, in a while um so I'm just I'm just kind of reeling from that trying to it, it's been a crazy couple weeks because uh right before I went on paternity leave we the agrolist the company I've been working for we launched our first version of the product and have our first customers on it and and then like the two days after that or five days after that Ronia our daughter was born and then the day that I was in the hospital with and my wife was delivering Ronya, Steve was texting me 
because the book had to like be delivered to the he was like talking to the fritz and the printer and i had to sign off on a bunch of documents for the pizza book printing so it was a crazy couple weeks a lot of a lot of babies all all being uh coming coming at once yeah just like you i've been like dying to get my hands on a physical copy of the book because we've been working so hard on it i'm i'm very very proud of us (laughs) it's a it's a fun i mean not to pat ourselves on the back too much but it's this the process we'll have to do an entire episode and maybe some writing about the process of making this book because we went into it i think with the feeling like it seemed obvious to us that we should self-publish it and do all this work because why would we what would a publisher give us other than like publicity and some money up front and I think throughout the process, we've discovered all the like ran and run into like a lot of things that are like, oh, this is a thing that a publisher would have taken care of and we would have had to think about. Um, And oh, this this thing like creating an index for the book, like who knew like, oh, you have to like hire an indexer and do that and like, you know, getting barcodes and ISBNs and registering all that stuff and working on the details of the printing and negotiating fulfillment and all this stuff. It's, it's been hard at times, but actually, you know, in the end of the day, like I feel like the product itself is going to, is going to be so awesome that any, and the huge amount of effort that we put into it is totally worth it. And it just, it's such a, I, I mean, you know, we read so many cookbooks and we, I, we both like collect cookbooks and we see a ton of them and not that I, I still obviously haven't seen the physical copy of the book, but even just like the PDF and the layouts that Steve has put together and the, the flow of the entire book, I was reading a couple, I got a couple new cookbooks whom I won't mention specifically, but I'm like, wow, our cookbook is so much more awesome than this. <laughs> like it just looks better. It reads better. It's, it's just such a, there's clearly so much more effort went into it because it, it, it did, you know, and I feel, I feel very, just like you were saying with the co-working space, I think it's one of those times where like, yeah, it didn't really cost us any money other than the effort, the large amount of effort that we put into it. Obviously that that's not free, but it's still like, it was clear that the effort when we got over the hump, when it was like, okay, this effort is going to pay off and it's going to be awesome. I feel like now it's just been kind of this downhill joy ride and I'm just a little nervous to see the final thing, but also like excited to be able to like go and promote it and, uh, to get people, other people to see it and cook out of it and be excited about it. It's going to be fucking amazing. So the reason why we wanted to do it ourselves was because then it's just ours, right? I mean, it's me and you and Steve and, you know, but also Tom and Sonia and the indexer and Fritz and all of the other people that contributed in some way, attended photo shoots, tested out the recipe, gave us feedback, gave us encouragement, contributed money to make it a reality. It's kind of a cool thing because, you know, we all kind of just shared in that. And um, thanks for everyone who's inquired about what we've been up to and uh, encouraged us to get back into doing this along with the other stuff that we do. Cause this is really fun. Cool. I wanted to try something out and we wanted to try something out and do some segments to spice things up and see if we could, if we're, we're trying to, 
experiment with format. We'll see. Give us feedback and tell you tell us, tell us how it is. But uh, I there was a, a format. You might remember if any of if anyone has been listening <laughs> for that long. There was originally. We tried to have a format initially. We quickly abandoned that. <laughs> Had a string of episodes. Kind of got sick of just the kind of freeform thing. So now we're kind of the pendulum is swinging a little bit back, and we want to try to get some structure in there and give everyone some kind of uh, maybe some things they can rely on or look forward to hearing specifically when they're listening to the show. Sorry, I interrupted you. But. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so the name of this segment is called "Put This in Your Face." Put this in your face. <laughs> we need a theme song for put this in your face. If anyone wants to come up with a theme song for put this in your face, let us know. So my put this in your face for this this episode is Japanese milk bread. Have you ever tried Japanese milk bread, MRV? I uh, have. I've, I love that shit. It's, it's so good. It's yeah. good, right? I used to go to a... Uh, bakery panya all the time oh yeah in the, in the east village uh it was right across the street from where my wife used to live uh in a dorm and yeah we used to hit that shit up all the time for egg salad sandwiches on avocado sandwiches on milk bread mm. yeah so milk bread is this amazing bread if you haven't tried it go out and try it if you have then you know what i'm talking about I actually stumbled upon, I mean, I, I had tried it a ton of times before in Japan. One of the greatest things I ever ate probably was this um, katsu sandwich from a train in a train station before I, I boarded the Shinkansen, the, the bullet train from Tokyo to Kyoto. Uh, we got these katsu sandwiches, which are like, you know, fried pork cutlet, and they take the shokupan, the milk bread, and they just cut off the crust and put katsu sauce and like thin or pretty thick actually pieces of pork cutlet on this like soft beautiful milky bread and you take a bite it's just so good but recently i stumbled upon it again because i was doing research trying to make uh char shu bao which are chinese uh pork buns so there's two very or there's probably like a million variations of char shu bao but there's two main ones that i know of which are there's like the steamed variety like the big fluffy steamed ones that you get in most dim sum places and then in some dim sum places uh i don't know why they choose one or the other or if one is more traditional or not but you get these baked ones which are like they're like a puffy bread but they're baked and a little crusty on the outside but they have the same like rich pork and you know red filling on the inside so i was doing research to try to make them and i found out that what most people recommend for do if you're going to do the baked variety, you actually use like a milk bread dough. It's the same thing. And so milk bread doughs all start, they all start with like, you basically make a roux, like a starchy substance of milk and water and flour. And you let that sit and you don't, you don't really let it ferment. It just becomes like kind of the hydrating substance that other than the milk and sometimes butter that kind of uh, fills a dough and they call that a tangju and that tangju uh, is like the what differentiates milk bread mainly from like a challah or a, or a brioche or something like that and so I was looking to make that the these milk bread pork buns and then I found out that the New York Times actually has a really good recipe for milk bread there's like a lot of them on the internet the milk bread one on the New York Times the only big difference I think is it uses eggs so it's a little more challah-ish than 
maybe a traditional milk bread. But everyone should go out and try that. Try to make this recipe. It's super easy. It's like a, a pandemia similar, right? Yeah, it's the the big difference is this tangju. You make this this yeah. Starchy. You don't do that. I don't think when you um, pandemia, you just use um, milk powder usually. You yeah, use it dry. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. and and like a challah or a brioche, usually you pre ferment some of the dough and you use right. that, and then you mix it in with a lot of eggs and and butter. So I highly recommend. I made I made a couple of variations. I made this like 3 times already in the past 2 weeks. I made just a loaf of it and it was really 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 good sandwich bread. Uh Magnus my son was like obsessed with it and ate like 20 peanut butter and jellies on it. Then I used it to make buns for for like pulled pork and like little just like rolls and it's just so good and it was one, it's one of the I've I've tried making a ton of different white breads before and they all are kind of like either too bland or too crusty or just not that interesting. But this is one of the best white breads I've ever made and it makes amazing toast. Um, and so that is why you should put, put this, this in, in your, your face. <laughs> cool. So thanks everyone for listening. We're really excited to be back and be broadcasting again. Uh, we have a, we're going to start getting guests back on. We have some other ideas for spicing things up. If you have ideas or you have questions or comments or you just want to say what up and get your voice on the air, maybe even, uh, we have a new a new uh, place to leave voicemails. It's uh, speakpipe slash beats ride types. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, and you can always DM us at beats ride types on Twitter or Hit us up on Facebook or email us at sup, S-U-P, at beatsrighttypes.com. That goes to both of us, so you can bug both of us at the same time. Sup. And, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. We look forward to hearing from everybody. All right. Have some more nation time, and peace. See you soon. Peace. Thank mm-hmm. you.